0: There's a personal type, this is a person who feels the pains and often they can come off uh, like kind of depressed or a little grumpy because what they actually do is they feel the pains inside themselves that an organization feels. And what you need to do for them is be encouraging and through storytelling, telling them they're not alone, that this happens to all businesses and encourage and build trust with them. You have the big thinker type like me who doesn't want to get involved in the details and they get super excited about change and, and changing tribes and culture and all these kind of like, buzzy word things,
1: but what they need from you is to talk to the other communication types. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show is part two of our interview with Jason Reichel. Jason, you've you've talked about some of the things that you guys do at Go Nimbly, and and I really want to dig into those. I think maybe my question first though is, when you look at doing you know two and a half billion dollars worth of MMR on behalf of these clients, what's a sales or a marketing insight? that you feel like you gained that maybe you wouldn't have been able to gain any other way than actually running the company for the last seven years?
0: When I think about what we've learned in this space, it's that, and this goes to sort of silo syndrome, which I mentioned in, in the first part of the interview, is there's this idea that as you grow as a SaaS company, or any company, that what needs to happen is you become specialized. I mean, I know that you've uh, worked in investment and, and you know, portfolio companies, and you guys often give this advice but I actually think it's bad advice so you know which is go find the best ex person that that's not what I believe I believe in finding people with dynamic range and range is a thing that is going to pay dividends to your business and so the thing that I've learned is as companies grow they go oh we need this specialized role we need this other specialized role and suddenly you have this team of specialists and nothing can actually get done because you can't predict what the business is going to need and what they instead do is go we have a salesforce admin so let's do some salesforce work we have a uh, field marketer so let's do some events we have this so let's go do this and they're strat- they stop having a strategy and they start being resource managers and This happens at the largest organizations and then they always long and I, I don't know how many boardrooms I've sat in with the CEO where if I ask what's been going on in the last five years of an organization, they breeze through it. But if I talk about the first five years of the organization, they tell me endless stories about it. And it's because there's an energy for rent to range. There's a there's a feeling when we're all wearing multiple hats and everyone's on the ship that is so intoxicating to humankind. It, it is when we're building our tribe and then eventually we're building a business. And I always like to go, well, what would it feel like if we kept building a tribe and didn't worry about building a business? And I think that is kind of key to what I've learned of how you unstick these organizations and make them more intentional as you bring back that joy in building that culture of that organization. And the especially on the revenue side, the sales, marketing, customer success, people call it alignment. I don't believe in the word alignment. I mean, your team has gotten sick and they all have their own mission objectives. Give them one mission objective to increase revenue and service the customer. You'll see how you bring back, even at the largest organizations, you'll see how you bring back that spark and that energy that people feel.
1: Yeah. So when we, if we were going to dive into some specifics on that, when it comes to getting customers to trust you with $200 million a month, of, of their revenue that you guys are helping with. How how has that translated to getting those customers to trust you with $200 million a month? Well, you have to really know communication
0: types well, not to boil down people to the four communication types they have, but you, you really need to understand their communication type. And then you need to talk. It's a little bit of a performance, right? When you're a consulting company, we use software. We built our own software to do our analysis there is no such thing as correlation right now for what to do in your business. Again, a business is a le- living, breathing organism, And but they're, but most people are just shooting at the dark and, and they're doing what their leaders tell them because their leaders came. And a good example is LinkedIn is a great company. People come from there. They get educated there. It's a great company. They're, they build operationally excellent people. They are a gigantic company. I can't tell you in Silicon Valley how many people have come from LinkedIn who are very solid operators, who are very solid thinkers because LinkedIn is that kind of organization they come into a 250 person company and then they try to implement ideas that worked at a, a 3000 person company and that just doesn't work and they and they they become frustrated by it and so you know you have to kind of understand where you are what we say in our marketing and when we're going into businesses is we have collected the operational data that allows us to know what you should be doing at which inflection point, because that's not always clear to the leaders, right? They have not been in those positions before. And even if they get a mentor, their mentor is giving them advice that has nothing to do with their current business. And so what we had to do is use this method called 3VC, which is super simple. Businesses can use it, which is the four metrics that... That matter to your business operationally, and I'm not talking about SaaS metrics like CAC and all these things. Those matter, but I'm talking about operationalizing your mar- revenue team, our volume, value, conversion, and velocity. And if you look at those things month by month across your your journey for your customer, what you'll realize is that you have gaps in those processes. And what GoNimbly comes in and does is we compare you to other SaaS companies in those things, so it sort of levels the playing field and says you've been saying that you have an issue here because your your marketing team is frustrated because they say that the sales team is not picking up the MQLs. They're not picking up the marketing qualified leads and they're not working them. And so you've brought in a company like Go GoNimbly. The pain that you've identified is that we need a better definition of MQLs. Can you help us Go GoNimbly? Of course we can. But in reality, you don't have a volume issue. So why are you going to increase the volume, right? What you have is a velocity issue. And by classifying the issues into different categories, you can then apply different tactics to them that will drive different results for the business. And so what I like to say is people's intuition of a problem is usually right, but their analysis of the solution is usually wrong. They're, so, so I like to think of going back to the hierarchy of competence a lot. Like we know there's a problem, and so now we're just uh, you know moving around and trying to figure out that so we're consciously incompetent right now, and most organizations will then start to just apply their specialists to it, and then what you'll end up building is something that doesn't actually solve the problem. You you might build better uh, better volume, but you don't have the sales reps to work that, and now suddenly everyone's underwater, and and then quality conversion will go down because nobody's spending time with the prospects properly. So it's it's a I like to think of the sales and marketing and customer success triangle as an ecosystem. You can't just kill all the ants if you kill all the ants then it's going to affect something else and so you have to really look at the business in a very dynamic way and that has been the biggest thing that we've taught people and how we've gained trust is showing them if you do this we can we can make a line here in the sand and we can watch this metric and you'll see it go up or down and that builds a lot of momentum it's not science at this point but it's art done with data backing it up and i think that's kind of the key to it
1: sure so let's let's slow that down a little bit and give people a bit more context on that. So can you give us the volume velocity? Can you give us the the categories there again? Yeah, it's volume, value,
0: velocity conversion. Those are the that's what three there's three Vs and one C. So those the, those are those are the that's the way to market it. And the way that you do that is you extract out all of your data from, I'm gonna use the word Salesforce because most enterprise organizations that we work with use Salesforce. You extract out your opportunity data in Salesforce we have an automatic software that we use, but you can do this even in spreadsheets. You put all those things in there by their close date, and then you build a metric for, okay, value is the average value of each of the dollars in each of the stages. Volume is the number, right? Velocity is how fast it's moving through it and convert. Sorry,
1: the number of opportunities? number of opportunities. Number, the number. number of
0: opportunities. Okay. And then you know velocity is the time it's spent in each of the stages, and then you have conversion which is from each of those. And when you put that into a grid and you compare yourself to the last six months of yourself, you'll see emergent patterns that begin to come up where it's like, oh, we always have an issue between stage one and stage two. And with our experience, we know that's usually a marketing issue that causes that. It's a handoff issue. And so then we'll dive into tactics that are based on wherever we see you in the red in one of those four categories.
1: So, so, and just again, because we've got so many people who, who listen who don't come from the SaaS background. Right? It works in
0: any business, um, by the way.
1: Yeah. So let's, you know, let's use me as the guinea pig, right? We're we're just about to launch this real estate investment trust. We've used some of the jobs act rules. So we're going to be allowed to solicit it publicly, even though it's a private thing, right? So if we look at our prospect list or people we're talking to and we're saying, okay, you know, maybe every quarter or something, we want to go through the stuff Jason taught us on Jess's podcast, mm-hmm. Right. So we're gonna look at do you start with how big a deal, like how big an, how big a dollar volume per investor? Is that the first V? Yeah, uh yeah, you could do that. That that's that's value. So,
0: I mean, I would tell you that everything is a pipeline and I would I would tell everyone that even if you're in a business that doesn't seem like a pipeline, create a pipeline, create distinctive out exit criteria for each of your stages. And so even if you're not using opportunities like in your case, we work with a lot of VC firms. We do a lot of their operations for VC firms. And you know, they're like, "Well, we have businesses." I'm like, "You still have a you still have these milestones, so let's create a pipeline for you." that's the one thing that i think sales really got right and why sales is so effective and so powerful is that they realized that if you create a pipeline with milestones then you can manage diverse talent uh yeah across so the board. L-
1: let's say our let's say our pipeline is can we get this millionaire to talk to us mm-hmm. right can we get a first meeting you know can we get a first meeting completed right where they've they've actually taken a look at our stuff and we've been able to have a conversation with them about we're trying to do Something a little different where we're basically turning the website into like a buyer's guide instead of a seller's brochure yep. so that it basically has all the questions they could have asked. They don't need to sit through our PowerPoint pitch. It has all the answers mm-hmm. there. So that if they still want to talk to us after that, we've got a pretty good indication that yep. you know, this is the high probability prospect, yep, right? So somebody we could actually get somebody's attention in the first place. We actually got them to go to the website and check out the pitch and read all the FAQs and, and have a look at it. The next one is they would actually talk to us after that, yep, right, and then maybe from there it's answer. I mean, it's essentially answering enough concerns that they write us the check, right, or sign up online. Yep. So let's just call that
0: stage one, stage two, stage two, three, stage four. Just you have a four-stage process. So the, the, the value is would be for you guys the amount of check that you're predicting that they're going to write. Which
1: This guy's going to put in a million. This guy's going to put in three million. This guy's yes, going to put in a hundred grand.
0: Uh, there's two ways you can do that. You could use data to predict what you think they're worth. And this is something that we do with our ABM programs, account-based marketing programs of – We think this account can spend this much with us on a monthly basis. And so you could do that across the board or you could just leave that blank and you probably wouldn't have value show up until stage three or stage four based on what you just outlined for me but that would be value. So you would be able to see your average value from stage two to four, let's say that. So that would take care of value. And now imagine that month over month um, for those different prospects you're working with. So that takes care of value. Volume is the number of those people who engage with you in the top of your process in the top of your funnel. So that's a pretty easy one for people to recommend.
1: And am I measuring the volume for each stage? How many of them made it to the next stage, to the next stage? Is that where my volume measurement? We do, me- we do measure what's in each of the stages. So you have three in
0: this one, two in this one, one in this one. But we're really looking for where they fall off because that's going to find the gap. So we sent 20 people outreach. They got on the website. That's stage one. That's the first gateway. Then only 10 reached out to us. So we lost 10 in this area here, right? Now, here's the key. So someone's going to go, well, I want to fix that. I want 11. I want 12. I want, And that's where these teams drive operations where it's not actually operational maybe you don't deserve 12 maybe you don't deserve 13 maybe your website is a piece of junk right maybe it doesn't explain things properly maybe your outreach sucks whatever those cases are you can't just say i want more that's not an actual solution what we would do is let you run this process for six months and then we would go back and go no on average you do have 10 a month you are performing where you should be that's not a gap now we can create some innovation strategies to try to gain more momentum there but let's find the gaps because if we get gaps, because what's more important is that the 10 people who do come in and the five who do want to write a check and the three who actually do, it's more important that those three write bigger checks and are more committed than it is that you get one more person. So that, that's the operational mindset, which is let's maximize each prospect that says yes. Let's not spend all of our time trying to get the people who say no to say maybe, right? Let's find our evangelist and really maximize that relationship. And so that is what it means to be an operational person. So, so I think that's a good example of volume. Velocities is how can we speed this up? And so as, as an example, let's imagine you're running this program for six months and suddenly you make a change to your website and you think it's more clarity. No one's going to question that but we see suddenly that people are stuck in that very first stage before they engage with you. Well, that's going to show up red in our on our heat map, right? If you think about it as, as a usability heat map, it's going to show up as red because suddenly something's changed the velocity. People used to spend five days in this stage checking out your website. On average, they come back to it twice before. Hopefully they reach out with a drift bot or some kind of chat bot that you haven't enabled and start having a real conversation with you. Suddenly you've made some changes and now it's 10 days. Okay, that would show up as maybe orange, right? And so that would be a way of for us to say, okay, here is actually one real problem. And now if you had the intuition that you said to us, Hey Jason, I, we changed our marketing co- uh, copy and now prospects are not moving as fast. I would go validate that with data, and that's the way of building trust. Your intuition was, you had intuition there was a problem. I went and looked at data. I I validated that. Now here I agree with you, so let's build a solution for it. Sometimes you might say that, and then I go look at data, and it's actually not a velocity issue. No, you you people are people are still moving just as fast. But what might be happening is the volume is way down in comparison, right? And so this is where people, it becomes a little murky for people who don't deal in operations every day of a business, which is sometimes something that can feel like something to us, but it's not reality to the to what's actually happening in the business at, at scale. And so this is what we teach people how to do, which is it's not if one person says it, it's if you can find an emergent pattern that begins to happen, right? And so that, that would be velocity.
1: No, I mean, what I like about it so much is I think about, you know, my partners and I over our careers have raised tens of millions of dollars, right? But it's been a lot of like, gut feeling of what's working and not working. And like, I said this, and then they wrote the check. So I'm going to say that again. And then they keep writing checks when I say that. And then I'm going to train our sales force to do the same thing, right? But I I really appreciate the divide and conquer here. I think that, you know, having, you know, taught sales training, run large sales teams it's something that i don't think is done enough and and i certainly think i haven't done it enough in my career the analogy i like to use which supports what you're saying which i think is really great is the frontline
0: actors the actors the people with the talent the people who kiss the babies are still your sales reps they're still your marketers who are they're shaking the hands they're the front end people the operators are the directors they're the boom mic people they're the person that's calling the shots behind their job is to get the movie made right the actor's job is to make a human one-to-one connection with someone. And that's where those two teams don't work like a yin-yang situation in a lot of examples. It's like, oh, my sales rep had this problem. Go fix this sales operations person or sales enablement person. Where in reality, it's like, oh, 10 of my sales reps had this problem. What are we going to do about it? Director. Like we're not getting the performance out of our actors that we should be getting. What are we going to do about that? And that yin and yang relationship creates really meaningful dynamic when everyone is committed to increasing the LTV of each customer. Uh, LTV lifetime value for people who might not know that term.
1: Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I admire about your industry so much is this move to a CRO, to a chief revenue officer, and you know basically forcing the children to play nice by having sales and marketing actually married instead of completely separate silos who are kind of at war with each other like a lot of traditional businesses and to me what you're talking about is is like a third aspect of that marriage of of treating your operational people as vital as those two other elements and making it more of a team sport differently than that
0: no i would say that for true a cro should be in charge in my opinion, customer success, marketing, sales, and revenue operations. The, and that should make your go-to-market team. I like to think of those three first actor types. I call them the I call those two people the go-to-market team. And then I call your your operators' revenue operations. And that's your entire revenue team. That's the whole, that's the team. You know, that's the whole team. Yeah. Um and, and the CRO's job is to manage that those people across the board and really have an understanding of of that whole that whole world, right? So it takes an your CRO should be operational minded. In our industry, that term is catching fire. And like all things in our uh, industry, sometimes it can go wonky. A lot of VPs of sales are suddenly becoming CROs and they have no idea about marketing and they're, or they have no ideas about operations and they're, and they're doing more harm than good. But I think overall it is a positive movement towards the idea of unifying those teams. I would go as far as saying revenue operators, operators should have a revenue number. And so I know that my operations team at GoNimbly can increase revenue by 26%. So if your goal this year is to grow by $10 million, add 26% more and give that to the operations team. Watch what happens because you don't have to hire more sales reps. You don't have to hire more marketers. They just need to find the operational projects that are going to increase the value or the, the velocity or, or the carry capacity of your reps. And I think that unifies everyone together because then you're in the trenches, right? You, you have a number that you're responsible for and you're trying to think about how to hit that. And I think that's a really healthy thing that we should be moving to. I also think marketing should have a revenue number. A lot of organizations have already moved to that paradigm.
1: Yeah. You know, something you said earlier, I really want to touch on. I know we've only got a few more minutes left here. You've talked a lot about groups and tribes and working together with people. And that's obviously a passion of yours and a skill you've worked on. You talked about the four communication styles. For people not as familiar with that, how do you break those down?
0: Yeah. So for me, there's the analytical personality communication type. Here's the thing that you should know. People are good and they want you to succeed. But there's, so I go from the perspective that everyone is good and, and what they need is the trust in order to move forward with you. And so the analytical communicator, they need to see data. They want to see charts. They want, they want, they want to know. And what they're doing is they're looking for you to show them that they can give you their political trust, and that you're not you're not going to turn around and this is all hocus pocus. It's very much like what you did. You challenged me to move through uh three VC slowly for your guests, but also so that you could understand it. My guess is that you're probably more on an analytical side that you're you can get a lot of information out of a chart, and so that would be an analytical communication type. Uh, there's a personal type. This is a person who feels the pains, and often they can come off uh, like kind of depressed or a little grumpy because what they actually do is they feel the pains inside themselves that an organization feels. And what you need to do for them is be encouraging and through storytelling, telling them they're not alone, that this happens to all businesses and encourage and build trust with them. You have the big thinker type like me who doesn't want to get involved in the details and they get super excited about change and, and changing tribes and culture and all these kind of like buzzy word things. But what they need from you is to talk to the other communication types because they're not always great. At communicating outside of themselves because they're so excited about the big change that's happening and then there's the last one who is really uh, motivated by they're the accountable communication type so often they come off as the hardest in a sales cycle or in a conversation because what they ask you for is timelines and and proof points not charts but more like how are we going to do this what's the method And in reality, those are your biggest advocates because they want accountability. They want to be part of the process. In order to be part of the process, they need to feel like there is a process. And so a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm getting a lot of pushback or I'm getting a lot of objections from this person. And in reality, what they're actually asking you to do is, how can I be more accountable to this? Show me how I can be more accountable and turn me into your ally. And those are the four communication types. And then you can narrow it down from there. There's this model in this book called Triangle Selling that I love called Scale, it's about how to measure rapport with someone. And it's amazing how few sales reps can know about actual rapport management. Some are just really great at it, specific types, and they lean on it real hard, just like you you alluded to, which is I said this once and I got this result. But in reality, if you understood scale, and I'll just go through them real fast, there it's an acronym. So jot this down is it's status. So the status of someone that you're talking to and where they are and who they are and what they are in their relation to their organization, that's status. The C is certainty. So the more certainty that we make someone feel, the more calm and relaxed and the barriers are gonna go down. And that's a way that you can measure rapport. The is autonomy, nobody likes to be sold to. So I'm a big proponent of giving someone exactly what they're asking for and then saying, but I would recommend this. And then they have a choice. They feel safe to make a choice. They feel safe to engage with you. So that's autonomy, the l is likeness people like people who speak like them who can relate to them that's the thing that sales reps are usually very good at and the last one is really really important and some sales reps are good at this but most are bad which is called an equity exchange and so at the e stands for equity which is i ask for something you do it you ask me for something i do it and we build trust that you can rely upon me you know one thing about your strategy that you're talking about is I think it's a lot to ask someone who wants to invest their money to go to a website and read all of this and only reach out to you if they're interested. I think that is a strategy that requires a lot of equity ask. So on the reverse side of that, I would question, are you giving them a true opportunity that your competitors couldn't? Because if they're going to invest that level of equity, and and maybe they will, is the content and the way that you're describing it so unique or so special? that the, the equity that you're you're giving back is like hands down like yes
1: it's a super interesting question and i would say no which is why the reason we're turning all of those type answers into videos so that people can just passively consume them in two minutes instead of i don't know i hate reading like i'm constantly doing the like text to speech on my mac where i've got a keyboard shortcut and i like have the computer read me my articles in robot voice because I hate reading. And I think that's a really good point to identify there actually. Yeah. So, so, the, you know, those are the things that
0: we would kind of walk through, but yeah. So, so those are sort of the ways that I bring intentionality in, which is a lot of people, the criticism I get as a leader, when someone comes into my organization is, Hey, you're really framework heavy. And I go, yeah, because frameworks are the great equalizer, they're, they're the, they're the democracy for everyone. The, 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 they're the golf game. Everyone can play them. People are going to get better. Some people are going to be better at them than others, but suddenly you've taken and demystified what looked like an art and instead
1: turned it into a habit. And as soon as you do that, everyone can participate. I love it. Okay. So give us the triangle sales book again. And, and do you remember the author on that one? It's a group uh, called
0: close. They, they're sales enablement experts, Corey, Corey and hame, I think, but triangle selling is out there. You should read it. It's a fundamental book for sales reps. It's but they pack it so full of frameworks that they should pay me because I talk about it so much. Um, (laughs) And they're really great guys. So it's a really good book for, for building a language, which is a really common thing that needs to happen when you bring in revenue operations.
1: Yeah. And then back on the four communication types, is there a book or a thought leader that you really like when it comes to those if people want to dig in on that more? Man,
0: I don't know where that really comes from, but doing a lot of research on how to classify people in marketing i think some marketers would have a better idea of that Yeah, we can tell um, them to google it read read yeah so that's called base jumping yeah google it that's a fancy word <laughs> of saying uh find the patterns yourself read stuff that ogilvy wrote ogilvy was a great very very amazing advertising guy and and he really understood customers he really understood how to talk to different personalities he has many books so read some of his books and they're very short i
1: love it well, if people wanna find out more about you or stay in contact, besides go nimbly, should they connect with you on LinkedIn or what what's a good place? Yeah. Join me on LinkedIn.
0: What I'm I'm doing this whole campaign called Silo No More, where I'm teaching people about these intentionality tools and how to apply them to all their businesses. I've been going around I've been going to Stanford and NASDAQ and other organizations and, and teaching them that these tools don't live in the B2B world. They're they're human tools and they can be applied to any kind of business. So follow me on, on LinkedIn, Jason Reichel.
1: I love it. Well, thanks so much for taking the time here. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. You bet. Bye, everyone.